All right, one, two, six, go. Well, we'd like to welcome everyone to our inaugural episode of Fanboy v. Manboy. Uh, this is Grand Moff Jim, and joining me, as always, is the infamous Rob. Greetings! Yeah, so today we're going to be discussing our thoughts on The Mandalorian, uh, episode one. Now, we have seen this before. We're a little late, obviously, a couple weeks late in getting this, uh, this review out, but um, we just saw it again, so we'd like to get some impressions out there. So what did you think of it? I personally, I really, really liked it. My first watch through, this is what I've been waiting for. It really is one of those things where I was watching it, like, man, this feels like Star Wars. Oh, it feels like Star Wars. Oh, yeah, this is definitely Star Wars. And it hit all the like the nostalgia points that I wanted, and it gave me like uh, the fan service that I really was looking for um, without feeling like it was beating me over the head with it. So I was, the episode as a whole, I really loved it. Yeah, I, I love the fact that I didn't see a single lightsaber. I've seen so many lightsabers in all this Star Wars content recently, and the fact that I don't see anyone running around with a lightsaber is actually kind of refreshing. The one thing that I will say, though, kind of at, at the beginning, the first thing that hit me as a little different, the, the visuals look like Star Wars, it, it, it kind of felt like Star Wars, but then once the music cued in, that was a little different. What do you think about the music? So the music, the music didn't stand out to me. It is one of those things where Star Wars music is iconic. Yeah. When you're talking about the original trilogy and even the new movies, you know that it's Star Wars music from the get-go. And I wish I could remember a score out of The Mandalorian to bring up something to talk about with this point, but I honestly can't. I can't remember something that doesn't stick in my head. It's just kind of meh. Yeah, it was kind of a western-y uh, uh, vibe. Um, I, I, it, it might grow on me, you know, but uh, that kind of caught me off. Yeah, but another thing that, uh, that kind of caught me off, I guess this is something that they're not uh, really doing a lot with, uh, with the non-episodic, I guess that's the way you put it, Star Wars, is they're not doing a crawl at the beginning. I did. It was one of those things where the intro wasn't jarring. But almost everything else, even like the Clone Wars and the cartoons and stuff like that, do a crawl to start you off with to give you that Star Wars. Oh yeah, we're getting into Star Wars. But I don't think it needed it either. Yeah. It is one of those things where the, the blunt start kind of fit with what the tone of the, of the show was going for. Yeah, I, I, I could live without it, but I know that I remember as a kid playing Star Wars games, you would see that crawl, even on some of these old PC games. Um, like uh, the Knights of the Old Republic, you know, you get that crawl. Even though it wasn't anything having to do with, you know, the the original trilogy or the prequels or anything, that crawl kind of got you. Okay, we're getting into Star Wars now. You know, I do agree, uh, but there is one of the, this is one of the points that I liked about the show a lot. There was no exposition whatsoever in this episode. Yeah, it didn't start you out. Hey, now here's a young Mandalorian that's just starting to get its shoulder pauldrons or anything else. It told the story through the visuals. Um, through what wasn't spoken and I loved that so much I'm fine with exposition I'm fine with us being confronted with the beginnings of the story and then it continuing from there but one of the things that I just I did absolutely love about this is that it, it didn't need to tell you anything it showed you everything yeah or at least showed you enough to get you intrigued yeah it showed you what it wanted you to, to know and it didn't need to explain it no, that's that's good all right so let's uh, let's move on to uh, uh, I noticed 
after the fact, or I guess I found after the fact, it was Horatio Sands as the blue fish guy, the bounty, the original bounty in there. Um, and he seemed to me to be a little, a little kind of Marvel jokey, kind of, kind of, I don't know, the way that they, he carried himself was it was very kind of Mar- Disney Marvel-esque. Um, but it didn't really bug me too much. Uh, what, what do you think about it? the humor there? It was less than Jar Jar Binks, so I'm okay with it. Yeah. Um, knowing that it's Horatio Sands on my second watch of the episode, not knowing it on my first, I still had a hard time picking out that it was him. I mean, there are certain scenes and certain like eye movements and face facial expressions. I'm like, oh yeah, SNL, Horatio Sands, I get it. But... I, I didn't have a problem with this character just because it gave me the vibe that this isn't exactly the best person in the universe. You know, he's got his issues, but he's so nervous about what's coming up and he's just a nervous talker. So for me, it gave him a personality that I can quickly grab because it's not like he even lasted long in the episode. Um, so I was okay with it. It wasn't Jar Jar Binks, so, you know, but it did have a little bit of that Marvel touch. Yeah, and that's a good point. You know, when you're talking about uh, things that, that if whether or not they feel Star Wars-y, I know for myself, I have the tendency to just think, okay, this is four through six. When I think of something feeling Star Wars-y, it's the original trilogy. But then we've also got to remember, whether we like it or not, the prequels are also included in that. So when Disney took it over, they, they took over one through six, and that had a lot of the silliness in one and two, or especially at number one. Uh, it had a lot of that, or some of the jokes that they would make in all the way through three, that were a little, you know, they weren't like the original trilogy kind of humor. And so, uh, necessarily, maybe a little more over the top, a little more, I guess, modern for that time. So that's an important point to remember. And that kind of helps me swallow the pill a little bit more when they start getting a little jokey, I guess. You need to rethink your life. <laughs> you know, this is, you know, death sticks were, you know, it was a jokey situation back then, and that character was useless to the universe in all reality. But it had a little bit of levity. And just like this, you know, Horatio Sands' character isn't going to be continuing on. That's the end of his character. But I still think it added enough. Yeah. And didn't take away. And it, and it was a smart way to help them. I mean, it, that was a clever way to, to, to kind of explain a little bit more, for you to see a little bit more of the ship, to kind of know what his MO was. You know, that was, that was pretty cool. So uh, we saw kind of the first, uh, or a little reference, or a big reference, really, to the cryo-freeze technology in this. One of the things that I got a kick out of is that I guess cryo-freeze technology has advanced a little bit because in order for Darth Vader you know to get they want to get Luke in there they used um, Han Solo. Yeah. Well it was a testing it was an you know it was a big massive facility with a whole bunch of people trying to run this technology in order to make this work properly because it seemed like it was a newer type thing and they weren't sure if they could keep a live specimen. Whereas now, on this Mandalorian ship, they've just got cryopods, you know, throw them in there, they're gone. You know, they're done. They're perfectly safe, and that's the best way to handle a live bounty. It's just kind of interesting to me to see from this massive room and a whole bunch of equipment to, oh, hey, it's all in one contained unit. Yeah, and that they, they have advanced that far, which, yeah, that was interesting to see as well. Yeah. Um, so... Moving on to that, uh, when he's, uh, after he turns in the bounty, and he goes to the, uh, what was it, Warner Herzog character, the Imperial guy, uh, I thought, as soon as I saw these stormtroopers, their armor's all in disrepair, 
and I thought, man, this is kind of a really cool kind of world building that they do. Like, I can see myself being in a video game, like, wanting to kind of be in this universe because it's obviously post-Death uh, Star 2 destruction, post-Episode 6. You know, they don't really have the means to be able to replace armor and things like that. So they're kind of, they're running on fumes a bit, it seems like, you know. Because of the disarray of the equipment and everything, when I first, when the door first opens and you see these stormtroopers, I actually thought it was possibly a world that had had an uprising and had taken this armor and started using it for themselves. So really my first thought was, oh, okay, so they're just using the stormtrooper armor that they took from, you know, dead stormtroopers or they raided or whatever, and then finding out that it was actual an imperial, like, outpost or an imperial building, that took me by surprise. And yeah, it was one of those things where they don't have the facilities, they don't have the armories anymore in order to keep themselves in the pristine, you know, part of what the Empire always wanted to project themselves as. Yeah, it's, and it's definitely a very uh, Western kind of vibe now from yes. that. It's not uh, crisp and clean an empire anymore. It's, it's kind of become a little bit like the Wild West. And uh, he says this line after he gives him the Beskar, uh, it was a Beskar steal. He says uh, something to the effects, uh, restoring this to the, it, it, it feels right to be restoring this to the natural order of things. And it was one of those things where with that he was implying the fact that he was you know, yes, restoring that, that, that metal to the Mandalorian tribe that it was taken from, and so that was restoring that natural order of things, but he was implying that there's a whole bigger picture there. That the, you know, the Empire being in charge is the proper order of things and restoring that. At least that's the vibe I got from him was that, that, uh, that he wanted to talk about something bigger than just the Mandalorian, uh, Beskar metal. You know what I really got out of that as well, when he said that was even bigger than that, like, kind of like, uh, almost like fourth wall breaking like outside the movies or outside of uh, all these projects that they've got going on they've kind of picked a new direction they wanted to go in a new direction with all this kind of run away from you know original trilogy a bit what we saw with uh, you know like especially the last jedi or some of these other things that they're coming out with and uh it feels like this is kind of a return to home a return to this is kind of the original trilogy feeling. And I, I felt like with that statement, like, yeah, this feels kind of like we're back in Star Wars again. It really does. It's one of those things where, you know, when he walks in to turn in his, uh, his bounty chips, or his bounty beacons, and collecting on that, it was Star Wars. It had the races, it was the proper effects. It felt like it was produced, not necessarily like in the 80s, but at the same time frame as the original trilogy with the same people behind it, the same quality there. It wasn't all these special effects and, hey, let's bring this new, let's bring this new, let's bring this new. It was that familiar feel of, I know this. Right, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, another thing that I, I thought would be, uh, was interesting in this, was when you're going, when they're going through the armor crafting scene, and then you see a little bit of the backstory in there, the flashes of the backstory of his. Um, do you really care about that? I found myself saying, I don't really care if he, uh, kind of where he came from. I care about the character he is now. I, I get that, that they want to tell that story, but it really doesn't matter too much to me to know that story. Not at the moment. Um, so I'm okay with the idea of it because I want to know if they're going to bring it in further down the line, if there's some importance to those flashbacks. And I'm okay with one or two, but they, they already let us know that he was brought into the Mandalorian tribe. You know, that he wasn't born within that. They don't need to beat it into us like they did, you know, hammering the metal. They can let that go. 
But if they're using it to set up for a further episode, which we haven't watched three yet, and hopefully, you know, possibly something will come along there, I don't need to know where he was. I want to know where he's going. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes sense. I just, uh, I find myself, with so many of these shows, they tie in, they use the backstory as uh, flashbacks. And I, I'm not really a big fan of flashbacks. And so they use these flashbacks as a way to tell more story. And I'd rather just th- them go and maybe find out through uh, some dialogue kind of what the backstory was. Uh, there was a show that did that. It was Arrow on the CW. And they had flashbacks every single season they had every episode was flashing back to where he was however many years ago and so they told two stories at once it was a flashback story that they were moving through and the current timeline and they kept doing that every season so i get i cringe a little bit when i start seeing a lot of flashbacks so i was that's the one thing i would say uh i i would be happy not to see too much of i I get if they're if they're doing something with it i'm open to it but it was kind of like okay where are they going with this well, and how many hammerheads and how many flashbacks in the space of 30 seconds. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know, they don't need that much. That's true. All right, so uh, Nick Nolte shows up as the Ugnaught. Which, I didn't know that he was the Ugnaught. I tried to go into these without knowing who all the characters were, but it was pointed out to me that that was Nick Nolte. And all of a sudden, I could not stop hearing that it was Nick Nolte. Before, before that, I was like, all right, yeah, I kind of like this guy. Now I can't stop picturing it and hearing Nick Nolte. Now that is a bad thing, but it cracks me up quite a bit. Yeah, I could just see, they could have just put Nick Nolte on that, uh, what was it, on that blurb. And it could have just been him, because that's all that I'm seeing. I'm, I'm in agreement with you. That's all that I'm seeing there. I'm not seeing the puppet uh, anymore, the, the actual Ugnaught. I'm seeing Nick Nolte talking. Uh, to the Mandalorian and so it's a little hard to get over that that being said I really like the choice he's got a really unique voice it fit the style of the character yeah. you know I'm, I can see him being the old dude on some farm in the middle of nowhere being annoyed at all of this stuff that's invading on his peace and quiet that he wants and him doing what needs to be done to get rid of it yeah right uh, so we get a dino taming scene uh, with the blurbs. Oh, that was... montage. Man, I'm a big fan of montages. Oh, I just love them so much. I I don't like training montages. I wasn't a big fan of that scene personally. It's just like, okay, I'm sorry. It's a two-legged creature that behaves like a horse. The biggest thing about riding a horse is the fact that you need to learn to stay on it. Sure. But how many horse montages have we seen over the years and how many different movies? It's... It's one of those things where we didn't need to see that, in my personal opinion. It was like the flashbacks for you. Yeah. whoop de do that he's training to ride this two-legged creature for this trek across the desert. Yeah, and, and you know, I, I, I give him a little bit of credit. They're trying to make him multidimensional. He's not just a, a gunslinger kind of guy. He's a guy who has to have a, a, a set of skills, a very particular set of skills. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> But, uh, but he's got to be able to tame this beast. There was a reference to, uh, and I can't remember the reference now. Mythosaur he's, or? Yeah, yeah. He, they, they tamed the, the mythosaurs and Mandalor- kind of yeah. the old Mandalorian. Uh, you know, so there was some lore there. So that was okay uh, to be able to bring that out too. So I, it didn't bug me too much. But overall, I thought it was kind of, you know, a little, a little forgettable. Um, the next thing kind of the the third act if you want to say it was kind of a short these are shorter episodes but he comes to the the base where the the bounty is being held um where the fob is leading them 
and you have uh, the appearance of IG-11. Uh, I thought uh, this was a, a really cool scene. I thought that this was, uh, it was nice to be able to see one of those droids in action. What did you think about it? Oh, I was, it was fantastic. I absolutely adored the fact that they brought IG into it and the way they did. Uh, I, I've read a ton of the original EU, the Extended Universe, and seeing one of them in action was just like I pictured it when I was reading it. And we never got to see that in the original Star Wars because it was just the IG droid on the bridge, just standing there. And it was one of those things where finally we get to see what they're capable of. And it was wild. I absolutely, that was just a cool action sequence from beginning to end. Um, and it's one of those ones where it wasn't overdone either. It was just, I, I, I'm flabbergasted. I, I was just really excited to see that. And both times that I've watched that scene, I just really like it from beginning to end. Yeah, but what did you think about the the humor too? There, he was threatening to self destruct constantly. That was the uh... well. So to go along with that, I, I liked it. I liked the little bit of brevity that yeah. it brought into it. Um, the original trilogy, it, on occasion, you know, when they're in the middle of something, you know, you can think about the uh, "We're doomed" from C three PO. Mm -hmm. Every time they went into trouble, yeah. "We're doomed." You know, C three PO <laughs> always brought this into play. It never felt overdone. And that's kind of like this is. It's just like, well, this is the droid that, you know what, he can't be taken. That's his programming. His manufacturer programming says that, you know what, if he's going to be captured, he self-destructs. So he's constantly calculating, okay, well, my chances are terrible. I'm going to self-destruct. Yeah. Oh, well, there's a new factor involved. He thinks we can get, okay, I'll stop self-destruct. Okay, well, I'm going to go back. And so I, I liked it. I got a kick out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely did too. Um, so... Uh, one of the things that kind of caught me, or, or that, that I felt like uh, I kind of knew, I want to see if you caught this too, on your initial viewing of this, what did you think when, the, when they saw where the, where the fob was leading them and it was leading them to that little pod? What is, did you think, did you anticipate or try to say, oh, I, I guess, or I'm thinking there, there's probably this kind of being in there? I didn't. Yeah. I, it was one of those things where I had no clue what was going to be in that pod when I was first watching it. I know there's a few people, yourself included, yeah. that's just like, you know what, it, it's it's going to be the race of Yoda, or it's going to be Yoda clone, or whatever the case may be in the situation. Yeah. I personally didn't. I, I saw that little pod, and I'm like, okay. I figured it was going to be a child of some sort inside the pod, but I had no clue what was coming. Yeah, because I was trying to rationalize that with 50. I was like, man, how could something be 50 and that small? And the only thing that I knew was old and that small, you know, was Yoda. So I figured, I wonder if this is another... And, it's, and sure enough... Um, that's what it was. So obviously there's questions about what is their intentions with this. Uh, the, the last little interesting that happened, interesting thing that happened in the episode, uh, IG-11 says that uh, his, his mission is to destroy it, which we know is different than the Mandalorian's mission, which is to, which is to preferably capture it. Uh, so uh, what do you think that that tells you about? Well, I'm really curious who the second party is. It tells me there's two factions almost warring over trying to get to this first. Yeah. And it sounds like it's been going on for a little bit of time, too, according to Nick Nolte's character. Um, but it, I really am excited to see who's behind the orders of the IG units to very clearly destroy the specimen. Because he that's what he said. Uh, you know, my orders are very clearly to destroy the specimen, whereas the Mandalorians, his orders were that last resort and the doctor was adamant about that that wasn't even the case it needs to be brought back alive yeah i'm trying to see dr parshing he said i think that's how you say it, dr parshing now uh someone had pointed out on 
on Reddit or on a post uh, that he has the same insignia on his arm. The Camino insignia. Yeah, same as the cloners in episode yep. two. So, uh, well, I guess we'll just have to find out this little this little nugget they put in there. For, I guess for us to speculate on, but maybe uh, maybe they have some intentions. Maybe this ties into the sequel trilogy and uh, how they bring Palpatine back. I guess we'll just we'll have to see. So I I like to well in this review. Uh, by giving this a rating. So the rating system that we'll use is uh, we either love it or we leave it. Love it or leave it. So it means uh, did it add to your fandom of it or is it forgettable? Is it can you do without it or did it even subtract from? Uh, did you not like it? So love it or leave it. What do you think? I loved it. For me it hit all the main points I love out of Star Wars the franchise as well as adding a few things that I never really got a chance to learn from this stuff. I love the fact that they're bringing the Mandalorian culture into it. That's never, you know, it was expanded a little bit in, I think it was Rebels, uh, the Mandalorians were, exp but it was never a massively explored area, and the fact that they're centering this series around Mandalorians and their culture and what they're doing with this rookie Mandalorian, this up-and-coming guy, I really loved this episode, and I'm, it leaves a lot of questions, and I'm excited to see where they, they, they go with them. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely intrigued. I thought it was nice and refreshing. The, the thought that this left me with was this did not subvert any of my expectations, and I was so happy. <laughs> I was so happy. It was refreshing. I said, okay, they can do this. They, they can actually make a show uh, that is intriguing and that's not trying to hound me with something. It's just trying to tell somewhat of an interesting story. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm intrigued, so I have to say love it, too. Um, so we'll look forward to episode two. We'll go watch that, and then uh, we'll come back and get back with you guys about whether we love that or leave it. Yep, sounds good. Until the next episode.